training, mindset, integrity, incremental improvement. What can you do better today? Start right here with The Pendola Project. Hey there, this is Matt Pendola with The Pendola Project. And I am Jake Parker. This is episode 47. Matt, we're here because we see a lot of things in gyms and some of them are not right. Yeah, a lot of gym fails. And of course, I've made my fair share of those fails in the past myself. So I'm just trying to share some of my experience so that maybe you can have better success without making all those same mistakes as I did. Guilty as charged as well, Matt. We covered topics like how sore should people be getting and should it be so bad that you can't walk down the stairs the next morning, Matt? Yeah, we talked about that and also just movements that we shouldn't be afraid of, like the deadlift and pull-ups. But basically, that strength training is something we should embrace. And no matter who we are, there's a version that works for us. And that ultimately, what we should focus on in general are the training periodizations or programming that we haven't been doing lately. That's that's what's generally going to help us get to that next level or keep allowing those positive changes to occur in our programming. So we hope that you enjoy this podcast. We had a fun time making it. And this is a lot of pointers that I'm giving my athletes, my clients at the gym. So I thought you might like to listen up as well. Oh yeah. Here we go. Episode 47. All right. And we're back. This is episode 47 of the Pendola Project, your process to success. Hello, Matt Pendola. How are you? Happy Wednesday. Yeah, man. I appreciate having a good, bright, sunny day out there. It's a little bit chilly, but it wasn't cloudy and snowy like last night. So it was it was nice. I was doing some hill repeats out on the dirt, out on the mountains with a few of my runners. And uh, we were really just enjoying the nice crisp air, the nice view. And it is nice when you can see the beautiful snow-capped mountains all around us. It reminds me we're lucky to to live here. Yeah, but that snow is away from me. It doesn't touch me. It's not affecting me. I don't have to walk in it and step on it, and I love that part of it. It's nice to look at, but as soon as you have to like deal with it and drive in it, I'm not about that, man. So, Matt, what are we here to talk about today? I think we're going to call this podcast Jim Fails. I love that because you look that up and you can find some pretty funny stuff. Videos of people that are clearly out of their scope or out of their range when it comes to their fitness or their readiness. And sometimes this is just a part of the process where we have to try something and and we fail at it and that's okay. But we want to have the idea that we need to work smarter, not harder necessarily, But that being said, working hard is a part of the equation as well. It has to be. And I mean, that's obvious, right? Because this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to better ourselves through pushing ourselves through the hard times. And that's kind of what exercise is like a one big metaphor for. But that being said, we see things all the time. Matt, you've owned a gym for years. I've worked in gyms. You see guys and girls doing like really fast repetitions when their mechanics are breaking down. And I I think it's just because they want to say, well, I did 50 push-ups. How many did you do? Momentum is a big problem, I think, with 
training, we oftentimes see that fast tempo because it's easier to try to lift that weight fast rather than trying to control it and own the weight or own the position. So I like to a lot of times say that it's not about how much you lift, it's how you're lifting. And I mentioned the hill repeats earlier, for example, working smarter we're running up a steep incline of about 10% grade on the hill, but then it levels out and flattens out and we're running the second half of it flat and fast. So we're combining some of the training needs that we have in about 20 seconds of time. The average stride, Jake, that a runner does is about 95% of their max speed, or that would be, say, the, the fastest they go. You know, you always want to leave something in the tank. And oftentimes, we actually talk more about 90%. But in other words, this is something that's very effective and it makes a lot of sense. It's not easy to do by any means, but we're able to increase our stride length and also improve our cadence slash power economy using that hill in the right way. Now, what I don't think is smart is if I turn around and then try to run down that hill as fast as I can too, and just make it a continuously hard effort, then you're going to really see a lot of form breakdown. So for example, if I want to try to improve the cadence, the stride length, that combination of factors that's going to help my athletes anywhere from my explosive athletes on the field or the court to even my distance runners, then that's the type of training that I like to do to improve but without taking as much of that overall risk. That being said, the work is still very hard when it's hard and very easy when it's easy. So I'd like to kind of catapult off of that and talk about the hard, easy approach. We've talked a lot about how training smart is important and how much recovery is an important part of our success. So the last podcast on Monday was about work plus rest equals success. And we're going to talk about the work part today. This is going to be the theme that I want you all to remember. Most of us, most of us, especially those of us who are not getting the results we want, making the progress that we want to see, Most of us, I can boil it down to this. If you are being consistent and if you have been doing this a while and you feel like you're stuck in a rut, listen up. Your hard days are not hard enough. People might be thinking, oh, no, no, no. I work hard on my hard days. I cannot take another breath. I'm gasping for air. I I can't work any harder, coach. No, what the problem is, your easy days are not easy enough. Because you're making your easy days oftentimes a little bit harder than that. So there's they're kind of those gray days. They're not easy, they're not hard, there's something in between, there's something in the middle. Those days are robbing you from success, from your hard days being able to work hard enough. And in fact, when it comes to the athletes that we work with, that's usually the first equation we have to consider in their energy system development plan. Their 
hard days aren't hard enough because they're easy days aren't easy enough. I can attest to that, and it's usually because of my ego. When I have set up an easier day for myself, I'll end up doing more because I feel like I can in the moment. And, you know, when you've got your blood pumping, you think, well, I could just do a little bit more and I'll get that much more benefit from it. But like we've talked about in past podcasts, Matt, that was affecting my harder days. I was having less fuel in my tank, basically, and I was burning out sooner because I was doing too much in those easier days quote-unquote days and I want people listening to really take that home take that message with you because I know that we talk a lot about recovery here and you don't always have to be grinding 100% that doesn't mean that it never happens that was a great point and it reminds me I was talking to a couple of my clients this morning in the education station these were a couple of my executives these guys are in phenomenal shape it's I you know I hate to use this term but especially for their age but as aging athletes, man, both of these guys just, I mean, again, it's not all about if they have a six pack or not, but they do. And it's not all about what they can lift or how fast they can run, but they're both very strong and they can, they're both very efficient and they can both run some pretty decent 10 Ks if they want to. But that being said, the point that they brought up today, I thought really useful for our listeners to hear walking to the grocery store. This is always something that seems to come up with walking being very much a recovery tool that we can all use. And remember last time we talked about recovery response repair. The response is to take ownership of what you can do now, what you can control now. So the point that Mike Stoker one of my executives made this morning was that he notices people driving up and down and up and down to see where they can park closer to the store. But there's all these parking spaces just further out. Let's all make that kind of commitment that we can drive further out and instead of taking all that extra time to find the space or try to squeeze your car in between other cars, you can just park out in no man's land, get a little extra walking in, get to that grocery store or wherever you're going to and get some extra steps in and some extra recovery in. And that's actually a smart way of getting in your steps, for example, without having to give yourself extra work to do at the end of the day. I'm going to walk around my block for 15 minutes because that makes me feel better. That's one thing, but I haven't done any extra walking today. So I've got to get out at the end of the day. Maybe it's getting dark because winter's here and it doesn't stay light out as long. Now I've got to walk in the dark or more likely I'm just not going to walk at all. And I did have time during the day. I had a few minutes here, a few minutes there to spend a little extra time doing those little extra things. And that is also a part of working. So I want to bring this up because I think that this is oftentimes a big mistake that we all kind of make, including myself at times. But I think of myself as a hard worker, but I certainly have taken too many liberties when it comes to working hard. If it's something that's obvious, like a bells and whistles kind of thing, you can see me working hard. Like for example, doing those hill repeats, uh, you can see Pandola's working hard. Great. But am I doing the other things 
that's not necessarily easy and it's hard to commit to. And it's that daily commitment that I have to make. That to me is part of work, not the stuff you wanna do necessarily, but the stuff that you need to do. And those things really add up to your eventual success. So don't forget, working hard means the big picture, means everything, not just the bells and whistles, or as the great coach Bobby McGee would like to say, it's the spaces between the training that really matter. It reminds me kind of of the uh, the advice that you hear a lot is take the stairs instead of taking the elevator. That is not saying that taking the stairs is going to be the solution to all of your fitness goals. The point is what Matt's trying to make here is that it's that stuff in between those habits, those small things that add up. I love the parking lot example because I do that as well. I park pretty far out and I was with a friend one time, Matt, and I just took the first parking spot I saw, didn't even look. And the friend I was with, she looks at me and she goes, you didn't even try. Like I was supposed to get closer to the store because she has to walk too. And I look at her and I go, yeah, because I'm blessed and my legs work. So I just got out of the car and I walked and that's normal to me, but she was aghast. And I think that's funny that that's just so out of the norm for, I think a lot of people, but it's really, it's, it's simple stuff, but make it a habit and you won't even start to notice it. It all comes down to this big surprise, Jake, if it works for you, if it serves you. Absolutely, man, which reminds me of something else that I wanted to bring up, and it's that working hard is not the entirety of the equation, because oftentimes I will see people that work hard at the same things all the time, and I I have to only assume that it's because those are the things that they like to work on. So how can someone listening to this determine what would be a better route for them? That's a great question, Jake. It's almost like you Googled what are good questions to ask. I do that a lot. Not that time, but usually I do. And this is where we wanted to try to help you guys more by going over some of the common mistakes that we see and why. So this is a great example. We do see that person on the Stairmaster day after day and even year after year. Now, fortunately, they look the same. They might have gotten results in the beginning, the first couple months maybe, or even the first few months. But after that, it tends to level off a little bit. And what they need to do is change it, change it up. Whatever you haven't been doing lately is the safe bet. That's what you should be working on more. So Jake, what this comes down to is the safe bet, if you're confused about your training, is what haven't you been doing as much lately? And that's probably what you should be doing more of. I think that's another part where hard work plays a part, man, because that's going to be the part that feels like work, because chances are those are the things that you don't enjoy as much. When it comes to these programs that people are constantly asking about or Now I see that there's a new fat loss program. It's called Shredded 2020, right? Now I've got to get onto that because, man, I've seen a few people on that program that just look absolutely cut to shreds, and that's what I want to look like. And what you're not seeing is all the other stuff 
and you're probably being fooled by marketing anyways because these people tend to just, you got to remember, they're getting paid to sell something. So don't fall into those kind of programs. Instead, just really analyze what it is that you need to work on more that you haven't been focused on as much lately. So for example, don't be afraid of the weights. If you have been on that Stairmaster for a while, it's probably time that you switched up to more weight training. I believe in a non-linear training progression. So that means that I would still do weights even when I'm focused more on cardio. And when I'm focused more on weights, I still do cardio, for example. And that's what I believe everyone should be doing just depends on what your eventual goal or whys are as opposed to how much time you spend in each program or each training progression. So getting back to the person who's been on the Stairmaster, let's first of all ask why. Why are you on that Stairmaster day after day, week after week? Part of it, I think, is fear. In other words, you're afraid to touch the iron because you're afraid of injury. You're afraid you're gonna hurt yourself or maybe you're afraid that you're gonna look silly trying to do these movements that you're not familiar with. So what can our solutions be there, Jake? Well, you could talk to someone who knows. If you're doing this exercise at a gym, chances are there's somebody there who is qualified to help you. Not just the big buff guy or the slim girl that you wanna look like, but chances are there's gonna be a trainer there. Yeah, so fair enough. Not everyone who looks great knows what they're talking about. And then again, some of them do know exactly what they're talking about. But from there, you might even want to hire a trainer. You might want to look at that as being a potential avenue. And I would be diligent about who you hire. Maybe even talk to a few different trainers first. Make sure that they are giving you an assessment and a proper evaluation. If those things aren't involved, then turn around. Do not write them a check. Get away from them as quickly as you can. But if they're approaching it with the proper assessments and professionalism and they have a good plan that they've set up for you, then odds are that that's going to be a great way to start and to learn these basics that you might fear doing wrong or that you might feel intimidated by. So I do like that. Obviously, I'm biased here, Jake, and, and so are you really. We've both been trainers and, and we feel like that's important that we're able to teach people the right way to lift and the cues that are involved. And it's a whole process. And knowing the progressions, for example, if you look on YouTube, how to deadlift, well, they can show you a proper deadlift and how to execute that, but you might not have the mobility for that yet. Or you may try it and think you're doing great, but you could be way off. And so these are things that it does help when you have a professional eye, an experienced coach that's helping you with that process. So of course, we do recommend that you start off that way if you don't have that experience already. And sticking with that theme, Matt, of don't be you know afraid to go and try these new things like picking up the weights if that's what you need, don't also be afraid of things just because someone told you that they're bad, right? Because a lot of the times certain people will be told something like, oh, running, for example, it, it's bad for my knee and so my doctor said don't ever do it. Well, Matt, I, I know that you would have a lot more to say about that bad running is bad. 
Listen, there are phenomenal doctors out there, and I certainly have a lot of respect for each and every one of them and their scope. But man, it just amazes me as a trainer, as an LMT, if I go outside of my scope, that would be extremely unprofessional, right? But it seems like that's flipped quite often. And I'm told these things. My therapist told me that deadlifts are bad for you. They're putting fear into you before you've even started something. Don't let somebody else, I don't care who they are, don't let somebody else dictate how you are going to think about something. That's your choice. Don't let fear and anxiety enter the equation. That's not something that you should allow somebody else to put into your training. So, for example, with deadlifts, I think they are absolutely fundamental. I mean, we are meant to pick things up off the ground. We do that a lot. And so to tell me that you are not supposed to do that, I just shake my head. What it does tell me, though, is that we need to spend more time understanding how to deadlift properly. We need to take more progressions towards that deadlift. We need to be realistic about the weight we're lifting. It's not some sort of special star that you earn because you can deadlift 300 pounds poorly. All the time I see this, people are outlifting me around me and they're doing it wrong. And that does not make me feel anything, but I feel bad for them. That's about all I feel is bad for them. I don't look at them and go, whoa, you're so strong. I'm looking at them and just praying for them that their back doesn't blow out. Congratulations, bro. Hope you're all right. Yeah, right. And as far as the running goes, yeah, I mean, get me started on that. But running is not bad for you. Running wrong is bad for you. Just like anything else that you haven't taken the time to give the due diligence, the respect it deserves, it's going to bite you in the butt. Yeah. And you talk about hard work, man. That takes a long time to get yourself ready and the just the muscle memory to run properly or to learn to deadlift properly. Those aren't things that you can just jump right into and expect it to go well. So you also mentioned something before that's near and dear to my heart. Strength training is important for everyone, not just for some of the population, okay? We all need to get in our strength training. This is fundamental. It's absolutely fundamental to me. We need that for long-term health. And there's all different variations of that. And so there's not any one way that I would tell everyone to do it. I don't believe in those blanket statements. But in general, I will tell you that everybody needs to do some form of strength training, just like everyone should do some form of cardiovascular training, which by the way, can be with strength training at the same time. You know, there's some people that I work with that just don't enjoy running. And of course I'm a running coach. And so I said, so what? That's fine. You don't have to run, you know. Oh, really? I thought you were going to make me run. What? What? Yeah, I thought I was going to have to run. And unfortunately, a lot of these clients have come from programs where it doesn't matter who they are, they have to go run laps between their 
strength sets. Like, you know, sorry, but that's why I don't agree with these CrossFit systems or these blanket systems that just everybody does the workout of the day. Okay. You know, that would be a different podcast. What we're going to talk about here though, is fine. If you're not going to run and that's not part of your why, there are so many different ways to skin a cat, right? We have all these different avenues we can take. So cardio, sure. I can have somebody just doing body weight, calisthenic type of movements, or say some light kettlebell type of weights, swings, med ball throws. I mean, you could go on and on with this list of things, power walking. I mean, there's so many things you can do. And even something as simple as say boxing, which I really enjoy doing a little bit of boxing myself. And man, now you throw in a little bit of jump rope. I mean, do I really need to run on top of it? Well, if it suits my why, absolutely, I'm gonna do that. But if that's not a part of my why, or let's say I just have a history where running is no longer going to be an option for me, why would I grind on my joints if that's something that is not part of my why, right? So let me sum this up, Jake. It's kind of silly to me. No offense, people you're listening that have a goal of, say, doing a marathon this year. But if you are going to do something like that, I hope that you've spent your due diligence, your time to really get your mechanics down and to get the skill set down so that you can go further And then I think it can be a good goal for you, especially considering all the time it takes. Hopefully that's something you can recover, respond, repair for, but let's not run to get fit. And that's where so many times, Jake, more often than not, when people are talking to me, especially because they know I'm the running guy or something, they're just wanting my help. They're wanting my support. And I get that. But it just, I just cannot condone doing that kind of training so that you can get fit or in other words, so you can lose weight or so that you can say you've done 26.2 miles, all these things, it's not necessary for your health. And in fact, it can be a real detriment. So let's make sure that we are getting fit to run and that we're not running to get fit. Now, how do we get fit to run? Well, a lot of that is done in the gym. That's why I say strength training is necessary for everybody to support your goals. Whatever you're doing in the gym should be to support what's going on outside the gym. And we have a client right now, she loves to ski. She hasn't been able to ski in a couple years because of a knee injury. She came to us last year and she's been with us for a while now. Of course, ski season is here now. And the fun and exciting fact is that she has done enough strength training, gotten the progressions to where we feel good about going out there and skiing. So she has done the mechanical loading to support that action of going down the hill with good proprioception, good overall understanding about her positions and her cues and these things that really play into our overall success in supporting, in this case, her knee from further injury. 
that's why she's in the gym so that she can do the thing that she loves outside of the gym. So let's get rid of the fear. Let's get rid of the anxiety, but let's do the work. And the thing, her name is Danielle. The thing I'm so proud of Danielle about is that she has worked very hard and consistently worked hard towards this goal for a long time before she could even ever see the snow. So in the hottest days of the summer, she was in the gym, strength training, in large part so that she could be on the slopes in the winter. And that's what's fun when you get to that end goal. But you have to do the work first. So, Jake, let's just focus on things like the deadlift or the progressions towards the deadlift supporting our athletics instead of putting that in the forefront for our aesthetics and thinking that we have to lift more than we're ready for, or we have to do more volume than we're ready for, especially when we don't understand the mechanics yet, or we haven't gotten that skill set down a little bit better yet. Why put ourselves at that kind of risk for what? We can skin a cat many different ways. There's a lot of different movements that we can do without putting ourselves at risk. We can take a lower skill set type of movement. So when I talked about progressions, for example, if we put our ego aside and we remember that a lot of the best movements are not the bells and whistles, but are really going to serve us, we can get an excellent hip hinge progression, maybe starting with just glute extensions, right? So froggers, anything where you're laying on the ground and extending your hips with your glutes doing the work, maybe graduating to a bar where you're doing hip thrusters and you're squeezing on your glutes and you're getting really good slow hip hinge towards the ground again. This would be an example of how to get yourself into a good hip hinge, but without actually putting the same kind of load on your joints and especially taking the risk off your lower back, for example. And ultimately, we end up understanding that this is what we mean by it's not how much you lift, but it's how you lift it that will serve you. Yeah. And have you laid those foundational bricks? Because yes, we all like to get that ego boost and put up some good numbers and do the cool looking lifts. But to me, the hard work when we were talking about working harder is those things that I don't necessarily want to do as much. So if you're a guy like me and maybe you need to work on your hip thrusters more, but you don't like doing them, guess what? That's probably where you should put the work in. And I'll put myself in that group too. Sometimes I don't want to do it. I know I should, but I try to get past that. Matt, is there any other example that you can think of? What do you see in your gym? Well, I can tell you what we see when we test new athletes. Mm -hmm. And especially since we talked a lot about hip dominant work, we'll bring up one that's more shoulder girdle dominant, but the pull-up. Right. That is one that especially my female athletes have difficulty with in their testing. We do pull-ups as part of our strength testing. And most of my female athletes, when they start, they cannot do one pull-up. And to be honest with you, even just my athletes in general, even if they can do pull-ups, it's not the pull-ups that I would verify. Not as good as it could be. Exactly. So 
a lot of people, if you ask them, why are you doing a pull-up? They're going to say to train my back. And that's not wrong. That's absolutely right. But I actually see the pull-up as being a huge indicator of what kind of core strength that I may be able to utilize when I'm pulling up in that vertical position, I have to really use my abdominal chain, for example. So good, tight, tight body, and I'm really squeezing and gripping hard. I'm also pulling my heels together. My feet are slightly in front of me. And when I pull, I'm really using the tension throughout my entire body. So it does show that the athlete has good overall total body integration and that is, well, I guess, again, this is another podcast we could talk about core and how that's been just bastardized over the years. But the point is, can they recruit that properly in the movement? And a lot of times they can't. I love that you use the examples of pull-ups, Matt, because I don't mean to mock anybody who's doing these kind of flopping around pull-ups, but you see it a lot. And they get off the pull-up bar and they're so proud of themselves because they just did however many pull-ups. And I'm like, man, you probably couldn't do one mechanically correct pull-up. But for someone listening who maybe wants to get to that point, like similar to running or similar to the deadlift, what's a progression that someone can start with that will eventually lead them to be able to do a pull-up? Yeah, that's the point of this podcast. We want to know how we can do the work and properly. So in that case, the lower abs, the abs or abdominal chain is connected, but we will say lower abs in this case is what the emphasis is, should be worked. And actually that is a big part of doing pull-ups. A lot of people don't realize that. And so just getting your hips to lift up to where it's kind of like show me your butt when you're doing any kind of hip lift you can start off of the ground and lifting your hips up off the ground is utilizing your lower abs more and that gives a good emphasis for what you'll need in the pull-up for example so you can start on the ground with various lower ab movements but make sure that you're showing your butt to really get those lower abs involved. Otherwise, people tend to just arch their back, use their hip flexors, and momentum takes over. Then they just have a sore back, their hips are tight. It's, it's not really working lower abs. So from there, I would also add in some obvious examples would be some pull downs that you could do to get your lats stronger. It could be also a grip strength issue. So really focusing on how you're gripping onto your weights, not just in your pull downs, for example, not just in your hangs, just with everything that you're doing, really focus on your grip. And believe it or not, we kind of call it the ninja grip, but believe it or not, it's that spot that's below your pinky on the palm of your hand, that is the area that you really want to focus on that grip and that squeeze on the bar. So when you're breaking the bar apart, really think about that. The rest of your grip will take care of itself, but that tends to be the weaker link. And if you can get stronger there and you holding your grip better, you're going to be able to do more pull-ups. Obviously, some of it can be just weight. So do you have the efficiency? If you way less, but you're just as strong, you're going to be able to do more pull-ups. Is it important for your overall goals? Well, I think that 
most people should be able to do at least, I would say, between five and 10 pull-ups is pretty respectable, especially if they're done properly. I believe that most elite athletes need to be able to do at least, say, 10 minimum, and then up from there, probably between 10 and 20 is always good. I have a lot of athletes that can actually exceed 20, but I think that the 10 to 20 range is is really respectable. And of course, these are just some average numbers that we like to see, or actually these numbers are pretty above average, but if you can do, say, one really good strict pull-up at a time, but you're just a bigger boned, bigger athlete, thicker type of person in general, then that's probably better for you to focus on that one at a time. And it may never really serve you to try to get in 20 pull-ups or something. So it just depends. But I do think that for overall strength, for good total body integration and a good test of that, the pull-up is king. All right, man. Before we wrap this up, we have got to bring this up because I hear this question all the time. People seem to be really confused about how sore they should be. And I also hear people bragging about how sore they are as if it's a competition and I am not as good as you if I am not as sore as you. Matt, what do you think? Well, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed because a lot of this comes from our industry and the quote unquote professionals in our industry. And I know I throw some stones sometimes, I try to stay positive, but man, we've got some crappy advice out there. A lot. And it just, I just, it's more than aggravating, Jake. I don't, I don't know if I can put it into words how frustrated I get with the amount of misinformation that is being spread by trainers and by fitness industry enthusiasts, by all these influencers about the grind and about how you need to just get so sore that you can't even stand the next day. And that is some sort of a testament to how good the training was. No, that just tells me that you really overdid it. And a lot of that day was for nothing. You're just going to miss out on more training because you're too sore to train properly. And this brings us back to the original on your easy days, go easy, go for a walk, roll out a little bit do some yoga, whatever it is that you love to do that helps to decompress your body, fantastic. On the hard days, go hard. But the idea that we're supposed to get so sore that we can't straighten out our arms the next day and that's supposed to be some sort of badge of honor, we got to get away from that, man. Absolutely. I remember back in high school in weight training, you know, we just listened to the football coach because apparently he's the only guy in the school who knows how to get stronger. But we uh, we lifted in the downstairs in the basement. And after squat days, you got people sliding down the rails because you literally can't step down these stairs. Downstairs in the basement? Yeah, that sounds pretty, weird. pretty like creepy. Like yeah, a, very creepy. Uh, that sounds like a whole nother creep fest to me. Yeah, we can get into that some other time, Matt. Tell me about the trauma, buddy. So when you were doing these workouts, and that's what they are, they're workouts. They're not a 
trained planning progression that's going to serve your goals. So we'll classify anything outside of that as being workouts. And that is how I insult people without them even realizing it sometimes when I say, oh yeah, that was a great workout you gave your athlete. Nice. And okay, so now I'm just being really elitist here, but with the kids especially that I work with and these athletes that are supposed to be getting better and they're supposed to be running faster and jumping higher and more importantly, being able to play their sport without having all of the setbacks with some prevention in mind, there's never an absolute. You can't prevent injuries. You can't no matter how hard you work or train for something, it doesn't guarantee you'll be the fastest or the strongest or jump the highest or any of those things. So Jake, why is getting overly sore a bad thing? Well, of course, delayed onset muscle soreness is a part of the process. So I'm not saying that you won't be a little bit stiff at times. And of course, you might even like to feel that soreness a bit. And that's okay to a point. It gets more specific when you're talking about athletes that are training in season and how much that can deter them from success on the field or the court, developing a skill set. But Again, that's another subject we can talk about more in the future. What I want to focus on now, though, is if we train for hypertrophy or if we train for strength or if we're training for a more metabolic effect, if we're training for the burn, let's say, if we want weight loss, any of these things, we're just simply breaking our bodies down to a point where we can build it back up to get stronger. So that's where the work plus rest equals success point. But in that breakdown, there's only so much that we can handle at once. And then past then, it's just plain overkill. So protein synthesis, for example, that we've kind of briefly mentioned or talked about in the past, that's a part of the body's reaction to the stress of training. And then it starts to build and get a little bit stronger again, if you will. Now, not exactly like that, but for the podcast purposes, I think this suits our needs to talk this way. And so if we're so sore that we can't train again for another couple days or few days or even a week because we just really overdid it, then how did that help us to improve? Look at all that wasted time. Exactly, Jake. So this comes down to really what we preach all the time here, Jake, is incremental improvements. Don't attempt to do 10 sets in your training session if you're only used to five. Do maybe a six set and see how that goes. Play the patience game. You're actually going to get better results from it. You'll be more consistent, and that will really pay off in the long term, I promise you. That's right, Matt. You got to be patient with it. Do the hard work, but do the right hard work, not just for hard work's sake. And what else you should do is you should send us an email. If you ever have any questions, we are here to help you out. You can email us at pendolaproject at gmail.com, and you can always find us on Facebook or Instagram. Yeah, man. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.